Chapter 29. Pornography for Capitalists. It commences with a quote by Ellen G. White. The desire to accumulate wealth is an original affection of our nature, implanted there by our Heavenly Father for noble ends. In our home, we have what we call colander moments. A colander is one of those big bowls with lots of sieve holes in it, the one you use to drain water off your pasta or rice. Inevitably, it arrives at the sink with grains of rice wedged in every hole or covered in sticky pasta residue ready for washing. After cleaning, it is placed upside down on the rack to drain off the excess water. The person drying the dishes then picks it up, turns it over and splashes undrained water all over the floor. Why is that? Why does the colander, a utensil specifically designed to allow water to run out of it, seem to hold more water on the drying rack than the other plates, bowls and cups? Well, one night, as I splashed water on the floor for the umpteenth time, the answer hit me. I had a colander moment. Colanders are designed to shed every last drop of water when they are right side up, not upside down. Bowls and plates and cups all need to be on their edge or upside down to drain, but a colander is a drain, so it should be placed on the rack right side up. Problem solved. So now, anytime someone in our family comes to a realisation that should have been blatantly obvious, but they've only just thought of it, someone yells out, colander moment. I was reading through a magazine's global rich list one day, when I had a few such moments of realisation. I realised that if I piggy banked all my Monday to Friday lunch money and vowed to never touch it, I would be at the top of the world's rich list in a mere 20 million years. I'm not exaggerating. I actually had to drop a zero off my calculations so that my calculator could even work that out. The good news was that I could reach the very bottom of the list in just over a quarter of a million years. Okay. So that particular rich list is right out of my league. Maybe, like me, you prefer to read rich lists that are more within your aspirations, or your postcode. Those lists where the winners have millions, not billions. I used to love getting one of the annual Australian rich lists. It was actually the only issue of that particular magazine that I would buy each year. It was filled with soft, glossy pages of succinct biographies and analysis of Australia's wealthiest men, women and families. I would leave it in my bedside drawer to be ogled over night after night as my beautiful wife fell asleep beside me. The assets of even the poorest on the list were well out of my reach, but it didn't stop me drooling over the seductively written text and the centrefold images of naked affluence. My second colander moment had nothing to do with lunch money. But it came one day as I was reading my state's rich list, the who's who in the zoo of the 100 richest individuals and families in Queensland. Maybe I could aspire to be on this one. Instead, I had another realisation. I noted that the low end cutoff for the list, also known as the poverty end of the list, was actually just one third of the assets of some Queenslanders that I knew very well, and they weren't even mentioned. Why weren't they on the rich list? Hold on to your colanders. The list compilers actually have very limited ability to identify what people are truly worth. Yeah, how horrible do those last five words sound? What people are truly worth. 
The researchers often just rely on what other journalists have said about people's assets in the previous 12 months and then try to find evidence to support those claims. It becomes especially hard to research when the lists are localised and you're trying to value people with less than $100 million. To further confound the journalists trying to put a bounty on wealthy heads, first-generation wealth sometimes has a strange impact on its owners. It causes them to disappear. I don't mean that they completely vanish, but they often become reclusive and less public. The best explanation I've ever heard about this phenomenon is in the book The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas J. Stanley and William D. Danko. These savvy researchers studied the lives of a vault load of millionaires, back when being a millionaire really meant something. They found that most millionaires were actually just suburban dwelling, frugal living, Walmart shopping, sensible people who drove second-hand cars and wore plastic-banded wristwatches. There's a keen lesson to be learned in that. I once saw one man go from an apparent $350 million real estate empire one year to nothing the next. As it turned out, he had lots of loans. $400 million of them, in fact. He did well to slip that little detail past the journalists. Proverbs 13.7 tells us, One person pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another person pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Another year I saw a man submit solid evidence that he qualified for the rich list, but, sadly, he died before the next edition was published. Jesus certainly had something to say about that. The more I dug, the more I found that while there truly are some filthy rich people out there, many of the voluptuous-looking assets of the so-called rich were actually just silicon fakes, propped up very pertly by the lenders, and that many of the people who really do qualify for the lists are just minding their own business and staying out of the limelight. I never qualified for any of the lists, and never will, but my brief obsession with them taught me something. The rich lists are titillating, entertaining and addictive. They sell truckloads of magazines. But they also grossly perverted my understanding of what it truly means to be rich. In reality, the rich lists are just pornography for capitalists.